Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. Uh, Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word again. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're thankful that we have your word in our language, that we can understand it. Lord, that we can proclaim it. Lord, that we can live it out. Lord, you know our weaknesses, you know our failures, you know our desires, you know our hurts, you know our struggles. So as I pray, Lord, as we... um, continue on with the life of Jonah and you working in and through that situation that you would use it today to speak to our hearts individually and corporately. So we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, Jonah. Um, Has anybody ever been in a boat in a storm? Okay, there's a few great. So you'll be able to identify with this a little bit better. Those of you who haven't been in a storm in a boat and know the you know, waves crashing in, the fear of um, yeah, what's going to happen next, the unknown, when the next wave is going to come in, it's, uh, it's quite a thing. And um, my wife and I and family used to live in Panama for a few years uh, over the water on a, on a, on a, a house built with stilts and everywhere we went was by boat. And uh, some of the outreaches that we're involved with, it was no other way but by boat. And uh, so, yeah, I've got a few stories that I won't tell today, um, but a few stories of how God saved us through those storms. Okay, so our journey continuing through the narrative of Jonah. Um, thank you, John, for, John Coe, wherever you are, for last week and for giving us the background and some of the historical areas there. So Jonah meaning dove, which is a symbol of peace. So it begins with Jonah and the merchants heading approximately 4,000 kilometres as the crow flies in the wrong direction. Nineveh is about 880 kilometres from Joppa, but they decided to go, well, Jonah decided to go with the merchants 4,000 odd kilometres the other way. He was doing a runner, a runner from the Lord. And um, so he's heading in the opposite direction. But the Lord, we know, had a plan for Jonah. He wanted him to share the wonderful news, the, the message of grace and mercy to a people that had no peace, that were living in wickedness, that were living in spiritual darkness, the city of Nineveh. That's where God wanted Jonah to go people full of rebellion. And what was the message? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I don't know if that's all that he said, but that's what's recorded in the Word of God for us. 40 days, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In reality, the book of Jonah is not so much about Jonah himself, even though he's the main human character in the story. But as we read through the book of Jonah, we see God. We see God at work. We see his character being revealed. 
we see his heart for the Gentile nation or the Gentile people of Nineveh. Even in all their wickedness, he wants, to come, he wants them to know the one true God, the God of heaven and earth, the one that redeems, the one that ultimately saves, the one that can forgive them from all their sins, their wickedness, and from their eternal damnation. That's God's heart and desire for every people on earth, past, present, future. God's love for all nations is woven throughout the scriptures. As we read from Genesis, from the fall of man, right through we see the theme going through there. God loves people, not just the Jews, but he loves all people. What's John 3.16? For God so loved the, the world, the world, everybody, not the elements, but the people. God loves the world. He loves every person. No partiality. And then we're brought back into what um, the promise that God gave to Abraham, that all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So that promise, that thread runs right through the scriptures. It seems in the early part of the trip, they're in the boat, they're on the way to, to Tarshish. And it seems early in the early part of the trips that the merchant sailors had no idea that Jonah was running fr away from the Lord and what the Lord had asked him to do. Only Jonah in his heart knew that he was being rebellious against what the Lord had asked him to do. And obviously Jonah, a follower of Yahweh, the one true, the one true God, and he was a prophet, knew in his heart what he was doing wrong. He knew he was rebelling against God, going contrary to his will, and that there would be a consequence for his actions. But maybe he was thinking, hey, I'll get away with this one. If I go this far away, God won't bother about me. Or maybe not. When you're in disobedience to the Lord, sometimes you can't think rationally, can you? Because you're just thinking, how can I get out of this? Or it may be said that Jonah hated the people of Nineveh and didn't want them to come to know the Lord or have a relationship with him. And that sort of comes out in the last part of the book of Jonah. That he's like he sits under the, the juniper tree and it withers away and he's just like, ah, these people. But God loves people. And it comes out very clearly also in the narrative that God, the creator's presence is everywhere all the time. And we know this from before the creation of man, that God is eternal. In the beginning, God. He's eternal was everywhere present and that nothing was hidden from him. And so when we get to heaven, we, well, we should know it ourselves now, but when we get to heaven, we just have to ask Adam and Eve, right? Was God's presence there? We can ask uh, Cain, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, David, Daniel, Esther, Isaiah, the disciples, Hudson Taylor, Corrie Tim Boone, John Wesley, Spurgeon, and then today our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and elsewhere, who are being persecuted for their faith, and then us here who are tuned in to the presence of God. God is everywhere. He is eternal. There's nothing, nothing can escape the Lord. Uh, no matter how much one tries to hide their thoughts, their emotions, their situation, their lies, their actions, whatever, the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. So how does it make you feel? <laughs> it's not very comforting, is it? 
Well, it is comforting in one way that God knows and sees everything, but it can be very uncomfortable when you're running in obedience, disobedience to the Lord. It's not very comforting to know that God sees and knows everything. And it can be quite confronting. Another thing that runs through the book of Jonah is the word fear. And it's mentioned several times in the narrative. In a couple of areas here, there is a fear of the elements, the unknown, and what is happening during troubled times. Uh, But there's another fear mentioned, and that's a respectful fear, a reverential fear, an understanding who God is, the creator, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the ever-present one, the holy one. His characteristics are coming out through the book of Jonah. So there's that fear, there's that reverential fear, and then there's the fear of the unknown. Ever felt the fear of the unknown? Yep. I think we've all experienced that. Knowing that God's presence, uh, God's holy presence is forever upon us should lead us to act like Moses. When he was in the presence of God, or Abraham, David, Isaiah, John, and many others, their, their response, their reaction in the presence of God was one of humility, was one of reverence, was one of admiration uh, to the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 is a, is a well-known verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 25.14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalm 33.8 Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And I think this is the message that out of this um, Psalm 33.8. This is the message Jonah had for Nineveh. This is the message we have for the whole world. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Would you not agree with that? Isn't that, our, isn't that the message of reconciliation that we all have a responsibility for? Okay, verse 4. So the scene in verse 4 is that we have Jonah going west with the merchants in the opposite direction that the Lord had asked him to go. A mighty storm arises to the extent that the ship is breaking up. Now, um, building boats out of cedar, which, which where they are saying the, the boat was built out of cedar, came from the area of Lebanon there, and cedar is a great wood for building boats. It's long-lasting, it endures for a long time, particularly red cedar. And um, we also know from that area that the temple, uh, the timber for the temple that David designed and Solomon built came from that area as well. So it must have been good timber, right? So when they're thinking these these seasoned sailmen or merchants knew that this boat was about to break up, it must have been pretty serious. We have to note where the storm came from as well. The storm came from the Lord. He sent the... He sent the storm, the one who created the sea and is in control of all the elements and all that transpires. And we need to remember that there was a purpose behind the storm. It wasn't God being nasty or trying to get back at these guys or get revenge. God doesn't need to do that. 
God created the storm for a reason. It was to bring about the salvation of the people of Nineveh. It was to bring about the salvation of the people of Nineveh. A Gentile nation that God loves equally, like every other nation, God loves the people of Nineveh. Each person is made in the image of God, in the image, his image. So verse 5, the sailors are afraid, this, this fear coming in. <clears throat> and here we read that, the, that these experienced merchants were full of fear. Similar, if we go to the New Testament, now similar to the disciples when they were in the boat with Jesus, right? They were full of fear. These experienced fishermen, full of fear about, of the storm that was brought within them. But that time Jesus was in the boat. He was not doing a runner. Jesus was in the boat with them. And who knows between these merchants, the years of experience that they had, the many trips that they had done in the Mediterranean Sea under different weather conditions. Experienced sailors learn and know the weather conditions by monthly moon cycles, yearly wind conditions, sea currents, how to navigate the waves. These guys are experienced. They learn from a young age and they know how to navigate the ocean. They know when not to go and when to go, when to take cover, when not to take cover. So even for these guys to set off from Joppa, the conditions, they must have read the, the sign saying, hey, you know what, it's okay to go. It's okay to go. But Jonah was in the boat. Jonah was in the boat and God had a purpose for him. God was not going to let Jonah get away with it. He was not going to let him get away with it. Fear can be a terrible thing, can't it? We're, we all experience fear here in one way or another. Fear is a terrible thing. It can freeze you. It can bring about irrational thinking, emotional instability. It can bring panic. So these sailors, these experienced guys, were afraid. And they must have just triggered off all sorts of emotions within them. How can we get out of this? What can we do? How can we resolve this? So they were not believers in Yahweh yet, but they were spiritually minded men. And we'll, we'll read more about that later. But, um, and this is with most people of the world. They are, in a sense, they're spiritually attuned, they're spiritually minded. When something bad happens, they generally think it's a spiritual problem that's going on here. Either a curse has been placed, an ancestor has not been appeased appropriately, someone has offended a God, and it has to be sorted out. But in our worldview, we say, hey, it's Mother Nature or it's global warming. But for, for folks back then, and most of the people even in the world today, there's a spiritual issue, there's a problem going on here, and we have to do something to appease this situation. So in this case, we know it was a deliberate act of God, the creator, the one who controls all things, brings, through, uh, brings attention to Jonah's deliberate act of disobedience. And in his disobedience now, it's affecting others. Jonah's disobedience is now affecting other people. And I'm sure we've seen this happen in our life, that our disobedience can have a ripple effect on others. It could be through my anger, through my moods, through my selfishness, through my unkindness. 
how these acts can affect others around us, our spouses, our family, our work environment, our church environment, whatever. Our actions, our responses, our disobedience to God can have that ripple effect on others. And it wasn't the sailors' fault. They were in, they were in this fierce storm. But even in Jonah's disobedience, God was going to reveal himself to these sailors and give them an understanding of who he is. That's God's grace, isn't it? That's God's mercy. It won't be their, God that sa- their gods that save them. It will be the Lord God of heaven and earth. And so you ever heard the term, don't put God in a box? Don't limit God? Have you ever heard that term? Yes, no? I'm trying to make sure because some of you are struggling in the heat. <laughs> so if you need to stand up, stand up. If you need to take a drink, take a drink. Don't put God in a box. Um, he will act in whatever way he wants to save people, to bring people to a saving knowledge of who he is. What makes sense to us and how God works, just one plus one doesn't add up sometimes, there does it. God works out of that. He is limitless. Uh, we understand historically that the sailors, the merchants, were most likely from Phoenic- were Phoenicians who Jonah was travelling with. Again, they were expert sailors who were also known for their worship of multiple gods. As they travelled the Mediterranean there, all those different countries, nations, they were just taking in the different gods from all those different areas. So they believed in Baal, uh, and one of their gods was Melkath, who was the god of death and the underworld. They also worshipped gods of the constellation, and they also adopted Hercules as one of their gods as well, the divine protector of mankind. So when you don't know the true God, you've got to grasp onto something, don't you? You've got to have something to fill that void. We, God designed us to worship, to worship something, obviously him, But when we don't know God, we grasp whatever we can to satisfy our need to worship something. As these sailors called out to their many gods, nothing was happening. Just panic was increasing. And they were becoming so desperate that their valuable cargo, their income and the property of others was just going overboard. Whether it was purple linen, which was very, very valuable, gold, tin, the income of others, or the, the cargo of others, everything over. So these guys were creating a huge debt for themselves by throwing everything over. So it shows you the desperation, doesn't it, that they were in. So realising now that Jonah was missing, the captain goes down to find him in the bottom of the boat, fast asleep. Now how can you sleep in a storm? Like those of you guys that have been in a storm, in a boat, can you sleep? No, you, you just can't. It's, I don't know. But I suppose if you're being disobedient to the Lord, you're trying to shut everything out. Um, but here's Jonah asleep. We also know that Jesus, going to the New Testament, our Saviour, was asleep in the boat while the disciples were in panic and worrying about the severe storm, worrying how this was all going to turn out. But Jesus, again, was not running from his Father, was he? He was not being disobedient. In that situation, Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples that he was God in the flesh and that he was in control of everything. He created the storm and he was going to 
calm the storm. He wanted his disciples to trust in him. During the storm, trust in Jesus. That's what he was teaching. And we need to learn that too. Verse 6, the captain finds him asleep and asks him, what are you doing, sleeper? Wouldn't you be asking the same question? That was a fair question to ask, eh? There's a guy, we're all in panic, you're down sleeping. Good question to ask. What are you doing, sleeper? So the captain requests or begs, I would say, what are you doing, Jonah? Call on your God. Call on your God that he might save us. You could say at least the sailors were trying to do something about the situation. They were seeking some sort of help, but Jonah was doing absolutely nothing. And it seemed that he didn't even really care what was happening out there. He was so self-focused in his disobedience that his own life didn't even really seem to matter to him. Like he was being a fatalist. Whatever happens, happens. God was out of the picture and he was just running in disobedient mode. It is such a mirror of us when we are disobedient to the Lord. We can become inward focus, trying to avoid others, not to discuss what God is doing in our lives and asking us to do. We can feel uncomfortable, hesitant, and don't want to think or talk about what God is asking us to do. And um, speaking from experience here, Speaking from experience is because if we start talking about it, God brings conviction. The Holy Spirit starts to nudge us and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to be involved with. But we tend to just like, the best thing to do is just try and cut everybody out, cut God out so we can just not think about it. And I remember when um, way back in the 80s when, when our family was in training, Bible school, missionary training, and um, the church that we used to attend to, we, as we got to know people, this lady shared with us how the Lord had called her into ministry and how she had pushed the Lord out. And right through her life, she shared how she just struggled, had a divorce, her kids, her adult kids were just um, getting into things that were ungodly and she's just struggling. Her life was just a struggle and trial. And she told us she put it down to her disobedience to the Lord. And um, so that story just sort of stuck there in the back of my mind that, hey, better to obey than to sacrifice. Um, and I'm not just talking about going into full-time ministry or part-time ministry, but it could be the Lord nudging us asking us to speak to our neighbour or speak to our friend about the Lord, how we conduct ourselves in our workplaces, how we treat each other as husbands and wives, how we, how we raise our children, or, uh, yeah, there could be many other areas. What is the Lord speaking to us about? What is the Lord saying for us to do that we are not doing only, only you can answer that one, eh? Only I can answer that one. What is the Lord asking us to do? Where, even where is he asking us to go? That's an interesting one. Last part of verse 6 says, 
the, uh, the sailors say, so that we may not perish. Isn't that generally what people fear the most? Death. If you get down to talking with people, non-believers, the, the, the biggest fear is death. Where am I going to go when I die? Some people say, ah, oh, I don't care. I'll go and meet my mates down in hell. But deep down, that area of wanting to worship, what God created in people, there is a fear of what will happen. What will happen uh, to us in death. And we as believers, as God's children, have the answer. Jesus said, uh, or Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And in Philippians 1, 20 uh, to 23, this is Paul speaking. He says, My confident hope is in that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ may be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can we say that? Are you confident here today that when you die, you're going to meet Jesus? Are you confident that you can say that today? That when you die, if you perish, well, you, we're all going to die. That's how we're going to die. But are we confident when we stand before the Lord that we can say, yes, Jesus, I love you? We as God's people have hope. We have eternal life with the Father because of Jesus. We have assurance. We are sealed. We've just gone through the book of Ephesians. We are sealed. We are redeemed. We are secure. We have a new identity now in Christ. This is our hope. And no one can snatch it away. No one can take away the salvation that God has given to us. It's a free gift. Nothing that we have done. We can't boast about it because all what Christ has done in our life. So we as God's people, we have a hope. We know what's going to happen when we die. Jonah also had the answer. Jonah had the answer. He was a prophet of God. He was a servant of God. He worshipped Yahweh. Jonah had the answer for these unbelieving sailors. And as we go through the narrative, we will see God working even in Jonah's disobedience to bring about the knowledge of God to these sailors. So even though Jonah rebelled and went the wrong way, God was going to use that situation to reveal himself to these sailors. So Jonah was going to do a U-turn, but God had a plan even in that U-turn in his disobedience. Verse 7. The panic and desperation continues for the sailors. So they cast lots. Casting lots. You ever thought about that? I've never really thought about it before. But it's just a way of making an impartial decision. An impartial decision. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast, cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It's like... Heads or tails, flipping a coin in many ways. You're not actually making the decision, but whatever falls, hey. But it's the Lord that directs. 
and we read it through the Old Testament, it was used uh, quite often, uh, choosing the scapegoat, which one should they use, and uh, they would cast lots. It was choosing the priest that would go into the temple, they would cast lots. Uh, we know the story about Jesus and the Roman soldiers, they cast lots for his garment. So I'm not saying all go, and if you've got to make a decision, get the dice out. <laughs> um, well, you can try, but I don't know. <laughs> the Lord's providence, I don't know how he works in that. Um, but thus the sailors cast their lots, and the Lord in his wisdom, his providence, his sovereignty, has the lot fall on Jonah. And I think by this time the sailors knew it was going to happen. They knew it was going to be Jonah. And I reckon Jonah was watching on. Hey, I'm no way I'm going to get out of this. The Lord is going to use this to expose what I'm doing here. So verse 8, after the lots fall on Jonah, then the questions come from the crew, from the sailors. And remembering, okay, so all in all this time, we're, we're reading the narrative, but all this time the boat is just being tossed to and fro. The guys are in panic. The guys are in desperation. And... Um, Cultures in the Middle East and many other places around the world are what we call the shame and honour. So the, 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 a lot of the questions aren't a direct, like, you did this. Why have you done this? It is more like going around the back door to ask, ask the question. But they are pointing it at him. Um, so the first question, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? Or who has caused this trouble? Do you know Jonah? Of course he knew. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? And verse 9 and 10, Jonah is very honest. We'll give that to him. He was very honest in his answer back to the sailors. So he tells them that he is a believer of Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth. But then when he gives this answer, the worldview of the sailors now, they're thinking, hey, this, this huge problem is caused by you. And God, and go, not caused by you, Jonah, but God has caused this. God has caused this because of your disobedience. And being spiritual men, being spiritually attuned, and as we know through the narrative, it also says that they were exceedingly afraid. Hence it seemed as though they had heard of Yahweh, that these sailors in their journey had heard of Yahweh, the one true God, and must have thought, how can you do this, Jonah? How can you run away from the God of heaven and earth who is in control of everything, sees everything, knows everything? We've heard of your God, and it said that he is everywhere. How could you bring this upon us, Jonah? And then I ponder at times, I wonder how I think I can get away with stuff. Do you ever think that? How, in my disobedience to God, I think, how, how, how am I going to get away with this? God sees, knows everything. There's no way I'm going to get away with it. There's going to be a consequence. God's going to catch me out. So verses 1 to 13. Again, being a shame and honour culture, there is no direct shaming of people. So they say, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? What can we do? Again, the waves are crashing. 
They're in a panic mode. I don't think they were expecting Jonah's answer, answer though. So when he said to them, throw me over, throw me over, you could understand these sailors' hesitancy. And even though Jonah had told them what to do, they tried harder. They're rowing. I think the sail would have been down by then, but they were just doing everything they can to spare this man's life, but then also to respect Yahweh, his God. And again, folks, this is what we do when we're in challenging situations or in our disobedience to the Lord, we always strive in the opposite direction, doing what we can to go the other way, the opposite way instead of the Lord's way. We distract ourselves by activities, sports, TV games, gaming, hobbies, whatever it is, all the while knowing we need to admit to God that we are disobedient, that we have been disobedient and do whatever he asks us to do. We need to stop striving. We need to stop striving and going against God's tide and let, Lord, and let the Lord be the Lord of our lives. Verse 14. So coming to the realisation, the sailors in all their seafaring experience know that it's no use. They now plead to the Lord of heaven and earth, asking him not to blame them for what they're about to do. They throw him overboard, throw Jonah over, and little did they know that God was going to use them to fulfil his plan and see the people of Nineveh repent and acknowledge the Lord. Remember, that's the big picture. The big picture is to see the people of Nineveh come to know the Lord God of heaven and earth, the one who brings salvation. So even in all this disastrous stuff that is happening here, in all the disobedience, in all the calamity, God is going to bring about salvation. God is going to use this desperate situation to talk to people. Again, the Lord will use anything and anyone to fulfill his plan and purposes. Again, not putting God in a box. Not thinking God only works this way or this way or that way. God is limitless. He'll work in a situation to bring about his truth, his salvation. Another amazing thing. Through this all, the Lord is using a desperate situation to bring these sailors to a true understanding of who he is. And that is what it's all about, folks. The Lord God is not willing that any should perish, that all Jew, Gentile, will come to an understanding of who he truly is. He is the Lord of all nations. He is not partial. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 15. So they throw Jonah over with no resistance from him, I would imagine, and then the sea just stops. Shalom, peace. The God of peace brings calmness to the storm. Can you imagine the sailors then? When everything went calm, they had been in panic and des desperate situation, and now there's just peace, there's just calmness. Their anxiety levels are dropping. The adrenaline is slowing down. Fear is subsiding. Joy begins to take hold of their hearts. It is true, the Lord is God, the creator of the heavens and earth. And none of these gods that we worshipped or tried to appease did anything for us. It was God, the God of Jonah. I think they had forgotten. When all this joy and everything was subsiding, I think they'd forgotten about Jonah. Like, hey, I just, we just threw this guy over and now we're, hey, 
But they were so full of joy and relief that God had heard their cry. God had heard their prayer. And so in verse 16, the response, the merchants then worshipped God immediately. They didn't say, right guys, let's pick up our oars, put up the sail, let's go, pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we're not like that guy Jonah, we're, we're cool. No, they stopped and they began to worship. They saw the awesomeness of God. They saw this sovereign God just stop everything. Calm, peace, and then they worshipped. In reverence and honour, they worshipped God by offering a sacrifice Giving then, after that then they gave vows. They made a vow to the Lord. Now it doesn't say what that is, but we're presuming that they would say, hey, we're going to honour you now, Yahweh. We're going to honour the God of heaven and earth. See, God had a purpose. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God had a purpose to bring others to himself. But that's not saying we should be disobedient, right? Because God will use any situation. We'll just say we can't put him in a box, but that's no excuse to sin or to be obedient to God. God will bring about his purposes and bring glory to his name no matter what, to know him and to make him known. So we can learn so much from this event, from this narrative about obeying the Lord or disobeying the Lord, disobeying him. It's really a choice, isn't it? It's a choice that we make. We can either obey God or disobey God. We, we can either do it willingly or willing, we can willingly disobey or we can willingly obey the Lord. So it's not saying that when you obey the Lord there will be no difficulties. There will be no problems. Everything will be calm. It's not true, is it? As believers we have trials, we have testings. But where does our peace come from? Our peace comes from the Lord. That word again, shalom, keeps coming up, doesn't it? Only God can give true peace through trials and testings and through difficult times. When the challenges and the trials come in our disobedience, there is just no peace. There's just complaining, self-pity, stress, anxiety, illness at times. All these other things come upon us. But God is talking to us, nudging us. The Holy Spirit is saying, obey, do what I want you to do. So my heart for each one of us here is that we will be obedient people for the Lord. No matter where he has us, in our work situations, in our homes, with our families, friends, whatever situation, my prayer is that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and honour him in all that we do and then even go where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do. There's nothing worse than being thrown overboard. <laughs> nothing worse. God, God loves us just... We can't even imagine what that unconditional love is like, but he loves us unconditionally. So whatever he asks us to do, we need to trust him that he'll take us through that and to obey him. So I'm going to use John... Co's closing words of last week. So in Christ, who is our peace, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, called not to Nineveh as such, but to Newcastle and beyond. 
May we be individuals and a church that brings, displays his peace, his shalom, his wholeness to families, friends, communities, church in this great, uh, to the church in this great city of Newcastle. And may we also run to revival. Run to where God would have us go. Let's pray. Our God and Father, again, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is hid from you. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in every trial, testing, storm, difficulty that comes our way. Because you have promised in your, in your word, Lord, that you will give peace, that you will bring about that, that security that you are right there with us. Lord, help us not to be disobedient people. Help us to be people, Lord, that love and respect and obey you. And when we do go off the trail, when we do go the opposite way, Lord, please bring us back, whether that's gently or it could be tough as well. So, Lord, I thank you for your love and your patience. I thank you for your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.